Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. We look at job growth in the city, vacancy rates, historical. I always look at pricing. And then there's supply and demand cycles. So look at what drives demand and how much supply is coming on the market. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now, I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today, Joel Sherlock. How you doing, Joel? Fantastic, my friend. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Joel. He put together a $30 million fund to buy real estate in the United States. He is also the founder of Match Method and HouseHarmony.com. He's both a realtor as well as an investor. His team is in the top 1% in his market, which is Vancouver 
and he has built and sold a brokerage, and he's done a couple other endeavors. With that being said, Joel, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So our real estate team is based in the Okanagan, and then our fund is based out of the Vancouver area. So basically the Okanagan is right between Vancouver and Calgary. It's kind of like Canada's Napa region. So lots of wineries, freshwater lake. It's a beautiful place to be. I started very, very simple. I bought a terrible little condo, fixed it up while I was in college, sold it at a profit because the guy I had bought it with fell in love and wanted to move in with her. So I sort of stumbled into flipping real estate and it's been a beautiful love affair ever since. (laughs) Well, I'm curious. I want to jump right into the $30 million fund where you put that together to buy real estate in the U.S. Tell us about that. You bet. My background's in finance. So I was always a numbers guy. So that first accidental flip, I ran the numbers. I was going to school to be doing my Canadian securities, which is stockbroker was sort of the way I was going. My father was in the financial services. I've always been a numbers guy. And for me, always in my career, I was looking for patterns, deals, systems, automation. I was always a big fan of that. And there was a time in our market where the Canadian market had slowed down and a lot of the Canadian investors were looking down south. And so in West Coast of Canada, so I'm from Winnipeg originally on the East Coast, and all the East Coast guys were talking about Florida. All the West Coast guys were talking about Arizona. <laughs> and so there were a couple of doctors that I had done a lot of deals with in our market here. And some of them had gotten down and got deals in Arizona. Some of them had gone down and not gotten deals. And I thought, well, I was asked by a couple of them to come down. And I thought, you know, hey, it'll be good to get away and play a little golf, hang out in the sun, and I can throw my two cents in wherever it's needed. But that first trip we went down, we went into 75 homes. And this was at one of the lower points of the Arizona market. And it was mind-boggling to me. As we're going through these homes, people are talking about last sale was 750000 Loan balance was 695 And it's listed at three fifty, And we're talking about an offer of two ten. Mm-hmm. In the Canadian system, that was just absolutely mind-boggling. So I think for the first 20 homes, I was just purely in shock. <laughs> and then the next 20, I'm going, well, hold on. Like, what's it cost to rebuild this? Okay, well, what's happening to the rental market? We got a checklist. I always love to invest in markets that have great demand, reasonable job growth, or reasonable second home markets, and vacancy rates that are very, very low. So They're talking about phenomenal prices. We're buying less than replacement cost in a market that has an exceptionally strong rental market. So I thought, well, hold on. This is a great opportunity. So we came back to Canada, and the thesis was simple. We're going to buy property. At the peak, that market was taking up 35,000 starts, so there's great demand. We're going to buy property cheaper than replacement value, and we're going to rent it, hold on to it, until the market comes back. And the only variable was when that would be. We had no idea. Mm -hmm. So the demand was much larger than I expected. So we put that fund together, traditional GP, LP structure. I had some help on that one from a mortgage company and, and a couple of investment guys. So there was a group of us, and then off we went. It was a brilliant experience. 
I definitely wish I had sold everything I had in Canada and bought more real estate down there. <laughs> but uh, my hindsight portfolio is almost perfect. Yeah, exactly. All right, you brought in $30 million. Can you tell us some numbers about how it performed and just any details? You bet. So I, the interesting part for us, like when we brought that money across, we secured 214 doors. We've got 10, 11 left now and then a couple under contract. So we are liquidating everything we have down there. So looking back at the numbers, we brought the majority of that money across at par. And that's important as a little bonus. But, you know, and we started you, with you, and, and for anyone who's not familiar with that terminology, can you elaborate? The money came across dollar for dollar, which was very unique at that time. So Canadian dollar to American dollar. We started with a 10% cash on cash yield just on the rentals. And then as that market really picked up, we had crazy units in downtown Scottsdale that were eighty-five, ninety thousand dollars $90,000, and then our rehab costs, and they were just simple two-bedroom, one-bath sort of townhome units. Our rehab costs were eight to 12000 We started out getting 1100 a month. Then we got twelve. By the end of it, we were getting about $14,000, $14,050 a door. So the returns were fantastic on those. Some of the things we had a little bit further outside of town in the Litchfield Park stayed in that sort of 10, 11 range. And then we saw incredible appreciation in the latter three years. And then about 18 months ago, we started having a conversation with the way the dollar was. So the Canadian dollar at that time was like a dollar 27 for every U.S. dollar. And we thought, hey, hold this another year. And we could see another 10% appreciation, but if the currency corrects 10%, then we've held it a year for nothing. So the decision was made to sell it, and then the dollar got a little weaker, so we got $1.30 to $1.32 were some of the peaks that we saw. So that was another 32% mm-hmm. bonus on top. So all in all, it was a, a phenomenal investment for us. What was your role You said you had some team members that went in on the GP side with you. What was your specific responsibility? A lot of the team management, definitely capital raised in the beginning, and then a lot of watching the market fundamentals and deciding when should we really exit some of these things. I learned a lot about the structure of those funds and sort of that GPLP relationships from my two partners. And... Now I've been very, very active reinvesting some of that capital into markets that we're working in now. What are those markets? Again, it's a little bit dependent on the investor. Funny enough, we had a couple buildings that financed the legal cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. So just a real estate play into that market. We've got a group of investors who are really focused on divesting to commercial assets. So looking at mixed-use buildings, three levels of retail, one level of residential on top. Two of the guys are getting into some small development. So really it's kind of investor specific. And then I've just been helping and investing alongside some of those deals. And as far as the actual cities that those are in, do you have any cities that you're focused on right now? Definitely Vancouver, Kelowna, Calgary, still active in Scottsdale. We did do a couple deals in Nevada. We've been looking in Oregon, Washington, Bend, Surprisingly enough, is a beautiful commercial market if you can get your hands 
on any commercial property mm-hmm. because they put a boundary around Bend and there's been a really large demand for commercial growth there. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the GPLP structure on the $30 million fund. How was that structured? It's a traditional GPLP, so general partner, limited partner, like the investors are limited partners, and then the general partner is kind of the guy who manages the operations. So the 2 and 20 refers to 2% management fee for capital under management, and then we take a 20% yield, so we participate in the lift, if you will. After we've made an 8% yield for the investors, we participate in 20% of the rest. So investors... So they get 80% of the upside, we take 20%. After they receive their 8% preferred return? You bet. And that 2% management fee, it's basically 2% of capital under management. So that would be $30 million, right? 2% of $30 million. Is that paid annually? That's paid annually, correct. And then as far as distributions to your team, did you receive that monthly or was that paid every 12 months? It was actually a European waterfall, which is a little bit unique. So it meant that we didn't participate as the GP until everyone had gotten their full investment back and their 8%. Okay, so you didn't get the management fee until they got their money back and their 8%? So management fee we did, the 20, if you will. Right. You know, the, and that's really traditional private equity. There's sort of the two models. There's the European waterfall where you get paid once everyone's got their money back. And there's the American waterfall where Every time there's a disbursement or every time there's a profit made, the GP takes a piece. You got to create a Canadian model. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the 2% management fee for capital under management, you said that's 2% annually, but as far as distributions go for that 2%, did you all receive it monthly or was that quarterly or was it every 12 months? Quarterly. And when your team submits distributions on this fund, was it? quarterly as well to your investors? Uh, no, so it's upon exits. Oh, upon exits. Okay. So yeah, and then the rental revenues were distributed quarterly. Okay. I'm with you. And the rental revenues would go towards their 8% preferred return? Correct. goes towards their total return. So that yeah, all in all, it was certainly a home run and we're actively hunting for the next market, the next opportunity. I've been down into Mexico. We've looked at a project in Belize. Those ones all have significant downside risk, which is one thing we always like to manage. Mm-hmm. It's good to make a return, but we want to protect that initial capital the most. So the last question, I think, on the GPLP, how much of the $30 million did the general partnership invest alongside the LP? The GP would have made up, I believe, seven and a quarter, seven and a half million. So that's always one thing that's always been very important. And if someone's looking at investing into a fund, make sure those general partners do have some skin in the game. So that's 25% of the 30 million the general partnership put in. And then on top of that 25%, there was a basically a 20% fee that the general partnership received after the 8% preferred return was paid and the money was paid back. Not a 20% fee. Well, a 20% well, share of share, the Sure, sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Of, well, but, yeah. They get right, 80% yeah. 
of the return. And, and of course, for our LP shares, we participated in our percentage of that. The overall raise from outside investors then would be roughly $22.5 million because the general partnership put in 7.5 of the 30, right? So the GP, we owned LP shares for that. Yep. So we were investors in the fund and we got our 8% preferred return and our 80% of the return above that for our LP shares. I get that. I'm just saying besides the general partnership people, when you co-invest, the 7.5 turns into limited partnership. But besides that, it's $22.5 million that you basically brought in outside of what the general partnership invested as LPs. Got it. Okay. You bet. So since your role was initially was capital raising, what can you tell us about how to raise capital? This is $22.5 million. How to raise $22.5 million? How do we do that? Have a very strong thesis and something that is completely defensible because everyone looks at risk differently. So number one, make sure you've got all of your numbers together. Make sure you've got all of your research done and make sure your thesis is completely defensible from every angle. And then when someone asks you what type of risk is involved, what's the downside, knowing that you have looked at it from different angles, how do you answer that question? I don't try and hide from risk. I don't believe that when you're selling an investment, trying to hide that risk or minimize that risk, I actually want to balloon it up. We would tell people that the Arizona market's taken an absolute beating and it may be years for it to come back and there's no guarantee it ever will. So for us, not that you want to talk people out of investing, but the last thing you want and the most stressful part of working with investors is when an investor is worried about their capital and checking in with you on a really frequent basis. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want to talk anyone into investing, especially Canadians investing in a market they're not in and don't totally understand because that whole scenario down there was so foreign to what has ever happened in Canada. It's a great, you know, the number of defaults and yeah. Don't talk anyone into investing. I really like that quote. That's a great philosophy. Absolutely. Especially when it's real estate, the the investor pool is massive and there are some incredible resources out there and different websites and you can put your deck out there, your thesis, and it'll draw great people in. But just sit through those people and take only the best ones because you are essentially going to be partners and married to that person, especially with a long yield like that for quite some time. Different than taking an investor for a flip deal and you're together for three months, a little bit different. The fund was about, what, like eight years or so? You bet. Just under. You're the founder of Match Method and HouseHarmony.com. What are those businesses? I've always been, as I talked about before, just looking for patterns. And so many people were talking about going to Arizona. So, okay, we got to figure that one out. In our real estate practice and also in my own investing practice, I noticed that the majority of people were selling homes to buy something else. Unless you're a first-time home buyer or selling your home to buy Apple stock, now Google stock. Most people would be selling their condo to get a townhouse, selling their three-bedroom home to get a five-bedroom home, selling their 10-bedroom home to downsize into a five, or selling in Kelowna to go to Vancouver, or selling in Arizona to go to San Diego. Whatever that would be, they're selling a piece of real estate to make a move, either up, down, lateral, different town, something. So we trained all of our guys, great dialogues we developed, 
to get information. And then what do you have and what do you want? And in a hot market, people would say, oh, I'd love to buy a penthouse in that really exclusive building. If anything ever comes up, let me know. Most agents would just scribble that info down and I'll set up a search for you. I'll call you if anything comes up. But you're missing 50% of that equation. So we would let people know that, hey, in our team, let me know what you have to sell if I find you this penthouse. And what I might have is someone who have the penthouse and want to get on the waterfront. That person has the waterfront going to the penthouse. And so what was great dialogues because people would always say, oh, that's interesting. I have a home on the waterfront, it's half an acre, 4,000 square feet, and I want this much money for it. And our agent would furiously scribble notes down. And then once a month, we would sit down, we started once a quarter and we brought it forward to once a month, we would sit down and play a big game of go fish, essentially. We would share that list with other agents in the office, and it was so successful that we brought in agents from other brokerages. And I'd always thought, wow, like scale gives this thing so much power because the more listings we can bring in, the more matches we can essentially find. It's really smart and it's an obvious need and you solved it. That's great. Thanks for telling that story about it. And I mean, it gets really interesting. So when I would finish a flip, I would attend our open houses. I would list with one of our brokers and people would come around from the area and people always come in to get quote-unquote ideas. And I would always ask, oh, well, where are you? And a lot of times they're like, oh, I'm just down the street and I need to rent on my house. And there were times where it was like, oh, well, why don't you buy this one and I'll buy your house? <laughs> so I would sell my reno and get my next project with that strategy, you buy mine, I buy yours. And so House Harmony is essentially the evolution of that. What we did was we built a dating site for house deals. So now agents can come in and put that list in, what your client has, what your client wants, and it's private. Unless your client has what I want, unless there's a match between you and me, I'd never be able to search that inventory. But once there's a match, it'll email both the brokers and say, hey, you guys should talk because Joel has the penthouse who wants to go to Waterfront and you have the Waterfront who wants to go to penthouse. Joel, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Ooh, that's on fundamentals. We look at job growth in the city, vacancy rates, historical. I always look at pricing. And then there's supply and demand cycles. So look at what drives demand and how much supply is coming on the market. I want to make sure I have written down the things you look for. Job growth, historical vacancies, pricing, you said, and where the market is in the cycle. And new starts. And new stars, supply and demand. You bet. And Any, actually, we watch unemployment as well. Watch unemployment. Any specific metrics that come to mind in terms of, okay, job growth, what percent are you looking at? Or are you just looking at an uptick or looking at it in three-year, five-year projection? A lot of it in job growth, we also look at like job diversity. And the reason for that is you look at a market like Fort McMurray, Alberta a huge percentage of their employment is in oil and gas. So when oil and gas is strong, their market is red hot and incredibly strong. Double wide trailers are renting for $4,000 a month. But oil is cyclical. It's guaranteed to be cyclical. It has been for decades. 
So when oil is low, not many people want to be paying $4,000 a month to be in Fort McMurray. So for me, I just don't like that kind of risk because, sure, when it's hot, you can make a solid cap rate. But when it's slow, you make a very round number as a cap rate, like perfectly round in a circle. And those frighten me. <laughs> Let's talk about new starts real quick. Is there a percentage or a number that you look at or how do you quantify if it's a good or bad thing with new starts? Again, that's just more new starts adds to the supply number. And so big supply is not a problem if you have massive demand. Big supply is a problem if there's huge amounts of supply coming on. We look at months of inventory. So like how much is the market eating every month? If everyone stopped listing today, how many months of inventory are on the market right now? If it's less than six months, that's a seller's market. But if there's 14 months of inventory coming down the pipe, that's something that would certainly slow me down on that market. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Hit me. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read? The Saint, the Surfer, and the CEO. I thought I would pick one that's not like the million dollar real estate, <laughs> the million dollar agent. I like you it. Know, Gary Keller's stuff is amazing, but so many people talk about it. Yeah, I like it. Okay, got that written down. I'm going to check it out. Best ever deal you've done? I would say that the first time I ever sold my reno and bought my next flip with that match method, I thought I was a genius. What's the best ever way to find people? who have $22.5 million? Best way to find people who have $22.5 million. Just be open for every conversation and be passionate about what you're talking about. Like I could talk about real estate every day, all day, because I love it. It's not work to me. If somebody said, hey, let's go and raise some money for a lumber mill. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh gosh, okay. Uh, I would be terrible at it. I cannot sell anything I'm not passionate about and I'm passionate about real estate. Best ever way you like to give back? Great question. I sit on the board of a children's charity in Vancouver. We have medical needs, disabilities, children's camps. It's called the Zajac Ranch. Amazing work. Incredible. So love to be involved in that. Love giving back. Thinking back on the deals you've done, what's a tactical mistake you've made on a deal? Not enough due diligence. Blinded by excitement. What aspect of the due diligence was not enough? Taking pressure from there was another agent on the other side, and on the surface, it's like, hey, that's a great deal. Well, you got to make your mind up quick because we got a bunch of people looking at it. And so we just ripped through the due diligence really fast and 
it was a big house. There was a lot of value to it. It was a flip that we did. And luckily, we got our money back. But it was just a far larger project than we initially thought. And our traditional due diligence scenario would have found that. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Sherlock and Associates. .ca is our real estate site. I'm far more active on househarmony.com. Facebook, Twitter's joel.sherlock, Instagram, same. So really any of those sources, we're active on all of them. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, Joel. Holy cow, this is like taking an MBA class in real estate, investing, raising money, as well as just, as you said, investing on the fundamentals and talking about what you look for in markets job growth, job diversity, historical vacancies, market cycle, pricing, the new starts, and unemployment. The majority of the time, we talked about the $30 million fund, where you and your team raised $22.5 million from outside investors, and the types of fees that you charge within that structure, as well as the type of returns and how you approached the overall business plan and why you saw what you saw and then how it turned out. And it sounds like you're pretty much wound out of that. So congrats on that fund. Really grateful that we had our conversation. I know the best ever listeners are as well. I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at com.